with you. Um, as Hannah said, my name's Natalie. I oversee social action here at King's. It's so lovely to be in a building with people. Um, I just want to say that as someone who lives on my own and has done church mostly on my own for a year, it is just so nice to see faces in front of me, masked faces though they are. Um, and it's great that we're still online as well. So if you're tuning in online, it's great to have you with us too. Have you um, ever heard the expression, God's gift? You know what I mean? When someone thinks that they're God's gift to something. Uh, usually when someone says it about someone else, it's not meant very nicely, is it? It's a kind of negative comment. It's um, usually referring to someone who is kind of arrogant and thinks too much of themselves. For example, you might say of a young guy who's really good looking and popular and knows it, that he thinks he's God's gift to women. Or you might say of a musician who's incredibly talented, she thinks she's God's gift to music or something like that. The expression God's gift is hardly ever used positively. Um, if I say someone thinks or acts like they're God's gift, to be honest, I'm probably uh, using it as an insult. I'd probably roll my eyes at the same time as saying it. I, it wouldn't be a compliment in any way. But this morning, I want to talk about the fact that you are God's gift. You are God's gift. You are a gift to other people. You, no matter how, how you feel about yourself, no matter uh, how you're feeling right now, how you're doing right now, no matter what you think about yourself, you are God's gift to the people around you. Now, I know that straight away, some of you are going to be squirming in your seats. Some of you are going to be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very humble. Um, hopefully, any of you who know me will know that I'm not about to encourage us all to go around saying to people, hey, I'm God's gift to you. Um, I don't recommend that at all. But I think that most of us aren't likely to do that or think like that, are we? But most of us, that's not what comes out of us. Most of us need to hear that we are God's gift. And in fact, it's, it's a false humility, a type of pride even, to rule ourselves out or to write ourselves off. So this morning, if you are listening and you're thinking, actually, do you know what? Yeah, that's right. I am God's gift. Well, probably this, this isn't necessarily a talk for you. You might need to do a bit of a Bible study on humility. You might want to go and look at Jesus who um, came to serve the very people that he had created. But I know that most of us are much more likely to struggle um, with disqualifying ourselves we're much more likely to struggle with a negative self-image. We're much more prone to self-criticism. We're much more prone to focusing on what we dislike about ourselves or how we can improve or how we wish we were better at something or we wish we were more like someone else. There's a great comment that I love from an American church leader, Tim Keller. He said this, he said, God doesn't make junk. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to be reminded that God doesn't make junk. Now, I know for many of us, if I, if I say you're God's gift to those around you, you might be thinking, well, Nat, you don't know me. You don't know what I struggle with. You don't know what I'm going through. You might have any number of objections to the idea that you are God's gift to the people around you. But please just give me a few minutes to unpack this a bit and to try and demonstrate to you that it's true. And that it's really important because actually, if we grasp it, 
it will change how we live and it will change how we interact with other people and it will change how we see those around us as well. First of all, the reason I'm saying that you're God's gift is because you are made in the image of God. You personally, you specifically, you are made in the image of God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, what you've been through, what you believe in even actually. Every single person on the planet is made in the image of, and in the likeness of God. At the very start of the Bible, it says this in Genesis 1. God says, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it's really clear in the Bible, um, in a way that I'm not going to unpack this morning, but that this doesn't just apply to Adam and Eve, who God's talking about at the time, but to all of humankind. All of us are made in the image of God. Even if you are watching this or you're here um, today and you don't believe in him, it doesn't change the fact that you are made in the image of God. And that is the truth. And it's what singles us out as humans It's what's specific and unique about us. Of all the things that God created, it's actually only humans who are made in the image and in the likeness of God. And it's what gives us our inherent worth. Whatever other people say about you, whatever you say about yourself, God says you are made in his image after his own likeness. And if I'm honest with you, one of the biggest battles of my life has been coming to understand that I have intrinsic worth, that I am made in the image of God and that that gives me worth that cannot be shaken, cannot be changed, cannot be removed. It is just a plain fact that I have worth because I'm made in the image of God. But it's so easy for us. If you're anything like me, I think it's so easy for us to take on board lies especially relating to things that other people have said about us, things that have been spoken over us, especially if it's people that matter to us, people that we love. Most of us find it much, much easier to take on board lies and to let them sink deep into our hearts, even to hardwire them into our thinking as well, than we do to believe the truth that we have intrinsic worth. You may have been told that you don't matter, You may have been told that you were an accident. You may have been treated as if you're insignificant. You may have been discarded by someone who meant the world to you. And if that's happened to you, as painful as that experience is or was, that doesn't speak the loudest word over you. It doesn't speak the loudest word. Actually, the truth is that these hurtful and sometimes even traumatic experiences in our lives, they actually don't tell us anything about our worth. They actually don't tell us anything at all about our worth. We think they do. It's so easy to think that they do. It's so easy to think, well, if he or she doesn't love me, then I don't matter. Or if he or she did that to me or treated me like that, then it must mean that I'm, I don't know, unlovable or worthless or insignificant or whatever it is for you. So often when we experience painful things from others, we take it deep into our hearts. We let it shape how we think about ourselves. We let it define us. And we can do this with achievements or status too. We can conclude that we're not worth much because we don't have a good education 
or maybe we're not the most talented or we haven't achieved certain awards or promotions that we hope for. Maybe it's because we can't get a job or we're not rich or we haven't done anything remarkable or we can't get into that particular friendship circle or we don't have as many followers as other people on our social media. And do you know what? There's even, even if you're thinking this and you think, I know that I do look impressive to some people. I know that there are things about me that others um, think are relatively impressive. It's astonishing, even then, how many of us struggle with imposter syndrome. Have you heard of that? Imposter syndrome. The idea that basically if people only really knew me, if people only really got to know me, they would realise I'm not good enough. I'm not intelligent enough, I'm not mature enough, I'm not talented enough. Now I know that some of what I'm saying isn't true of everyone who's listening today. But I do expect, and I just know from talking to people, I just know it from people in my own life, that actually most of us will struggle with some thoughts along these lines. We will um, criticise ourselves in some ways, we will wish we were better at something or more like someone else. But the truth is, none of the things I've just mentioned define us. None of them tells us about our worth or about our value. Because the one who made you knows you best. The one who made you knows you thoroughly and completely, and he knows you best, and he says you are made in his image. He says you matter. He says you're significant and you have intrinsic, incalculable worth. Here's another Tim Keller quote for you. Uh, The Bible says that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? The Bible says that no matter who you are, where you're from, what your record is, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, it doesn't matter how low you've gone. Every human being made in the image of God reflects God. And therefore, there is rock-solid, objective, irreducible... Let me say it again. Therefore, there is rock-solid, objective, irreducible glory and significance and value and worth about every single human being. Every one of you. Every one of us. God's divine imprint is on you. You carry something of Almighty God within you. You matter You are not disposable. You are not worth any less or any more than other people. You are not less valuable than anyone else. The British theologian G.K. Chesterton wrote this. You matter. I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. I think that's my own experience. One of the hardest things to believe is that because I'm made in the image of God, I matter. My life counts. But it doesn't stop with the the image of God. It doesn't stop with just telling us about our value and worth. John Piper says this, God created us in his image so we would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. We are made to reflect something of God to those around us. He has put in each one of us marks of his character We're made to reflect him. I mean, it's simple but astonishing, isn't it? It's both. It's so simple and yet so mind-blowingly true that we are made to reflect God to those around us. If you just think for a minute about your friends, 
dwell a little bit for a minute on what do you love about your friends? How do they reflect God to you? So when I think of my closest friends, I could tell you about one of my friends who finds any way that she can to express commitment to me. Because she knows that commitment and permanence really matter to me in relationships. And so through this friend, I frequently have moments where I'm just, um, I get revelation afresh that God is committed to me. That God has committed himself to me in covenant relationship with me where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My friend's commitment to me points me to God's greater commitment to me. It points me, her heart for me actually points me to his heart for me. I've got another friend who absolutely burns with anger at injustice. Like, she literally can't stand it. It it affects her so deeply that she finds it really hard to hide it when it's happening, um, even when she sometimes needs to. But she's channeling it into a career where she's getting to make a difference and bring justice and advocate on behalf of the vulnerable and those who have no one to speak up on their behalf. And so whenever I see her burn with anger about injustice, I catch a glimpse of God's heart for justice. Actually, so much of the time when I see her getting upset, it makes me think, God, you care about injustice. You get upset. Jesus, you flipped tables because of injustice. You care about this. You're moved deeply by it. I could tell you about other friends whose hospitality and welcome into their homes when we're allowed to do such things um, speaks volumes to me about God's welcome to me, that I was made to belong to him and to belong to his family. Um, I've got friends who are incredibly kind or patient or gentle or wise, and in each one of them, I see something of God reflected back to me. I think about my mum. Any of you who are friends of me on Facebook will know I often post things about my mum, but I think about my mum and how she raised me and my brother and sister, and the words that come to mind are things like sacrifice and selflessness and steadfastness, and all of that reflects something of God to me. And do you know what's really interesting is the word that's translated image in Genesis, where we're, said, where we're told that we're made in the image of God, is translated as shadow in Psalm 39. And a shadow is a resemblance or a reflection, isn't it, of something greater. The shadow isn't the, isn't the original. The shadow points to the original. And actually, as I look around me at different people that I know, some of you who are in this room, some of you who are watching online, what I see is that, yeah, like dim shadows maybe, but nevertheless pointing me to a greater glory of who God is, what he's like, how he interacts with me, how he feels about me, how he engages with me. And each one of us has been made to uniquely reflect God to those around us. You carry something of God within you that reflects him in a way that I don't. We are all unique. We reflect him differently. We're all different. You are unique. You can be similar to someone in temperament, in mannerisms, in looks, in character. Maybe people say to you that you're the spitting image of your mum or your dad or your siblings or, or someone else. Even so, you are uniquely made. In Psalm 139, King David wrote this, which he basically says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It can be hard to get our heads around that. But actually, do you know what? Even our physical bodies are unique. 
but it's about much more than fingerprints and DNA and things like that. All of us is different. Do you know, you can even have a doppelganger, someone people mistake for you. This happened to me in 2013, where people would come up to me all the time and go, hey, I saw you on MasterChef last night. I wasn't even watching MasterChef. But basically, someone was on it who was called Natalie, had a pretty common accent, was quite short, and had a similar hairstyle to me. And so basically, people come up to me all the time and go, hey, I saw you on MasterChef, but you know what? She isn't me. And any of you who've tasted my cooking will be well aware of that fact. <laughs> but she's not me. Even identical twins aren't exactly the same. I asked a friend of mine who is an identical twin, are there differences between you and your sister? And she said, this is word for word what she texted me back, she said, we are polar opposites. She's organised and has to have a plan and routine for everything, whereas I thrive in chaos. I'm an extrovert and she's an introvert. Every single one of us is made in the image of God. Each one of us is made to reflect him to those around us. Each one of us is unique. You might look like someone else, you might have a similar personality to someone else, but no one has your unique and specific mix of life experience, personality, gifting, your faith story, what you've been through, who you love, who you've been shaped by, who you've been influenced by, things you love and enjoy, your habits, your temperament, I could go on. All of those things combine in you to make you different to everyone around you. And that means you can reflect God to those around you in a way that is different to anyone else. Some of you will know that I used to work for the Safer Hastings Partnership, where my job was to get um, the media to cover good news stories about crime. It's pretty much an impossible job. But forensic science plays a critical role in solving crimes. And one of the pioneers in forensic science... Um, is a guy called Dr. Edmund Lockhart. He was known as the French Sherlock Holmes. Now, Lockhart formulated one of the most influential ideas in forensic science, which essentially is that if I burgle your home, I will leave traces of myself in your home, and I will take traces of your home away with me as I try and run off. Lockhart's principle is that basically, I can't commit a crime without leaving traces of my presence. And it may sound obvious to us today, but Lockhart's principle that every contact leaves a trace was groundbreaking. But it's true, every contact leaves a trace. And actually, haven't we all become much more aware of this during the pandemic? During coronavirus, the reason we are wearing face masks and washing our hands thoroughly and using antibacterial gel, uh, the reason we've been in lockdown, the reason we're socially distanced, all of this has been because of how easy it is to pass on a virus by leaving a trace of ourselves on other people. In the last year, we've been made aware, like never before, that every contact can leave a trace. So let me just repeat some of this. You, you are made in the image of God. You are made to reflect God to others. But you're also made to have an impact on others, to leave a trace. Now, I've used two negative examples from crime and from the coronavirus pandemic. But God's intention for you and for me is that we will leave a trace of him on everyone that we encounter, that we will impact the people around us positively. God has placed you 
specifically you, alongside the people you come into contact with, so that you can leave a trace, so that you can have a positive impact for his glory and for their good on the people around you. In Acts 17, it says that God has appointed when and where each of us lives. God has placed you in your family. As weird and wacky as your family might be, God has placed you in your family. He's placed you in Bexhill or Hastings or Central St. Leonard's or wherever you are right now. He's placed you alongside your friends, your neighbours, your colleagues, the people who get on your nerves, the person who works in the local shop that you visit week after week after week and have got to know. None of it is an accident. All of it is by design. He's placed you specifically you with your temperament your mix of life story the battles you've been through he's placed you intentionally and deliberately in the lives of others so that you can reflect him to them so that you can leave a trace of him with them you are God's gift to those around you you are now just as I finish up I just want to say I know that some of you might be thinking well Nat you don't know how weak I am No, maybe you're right, but I do know that the Bible says God has chosen the weak. You might say, well, you don't know how tempted I am. I'm so tempted to stray away from God. Well, no, do you know what? I don't, but the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way and sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. You might say, I'm not smart, I'm not wise, I'm not strong, I'm not from a good family. Well, the Bible says God has chosen the foolish, the weak, those who are low, even those who are despised. You might tell me that maybe you're, you're in poverty and you haven't got much of anything at all. Would you know what the Bible says about you? It says that he's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. You can protest all you like, but the Bible will have an answer to every argument you would throw back at me. Because what I'm saying is in the Bible that we are made in the image of God and that we're made to bring him glory and to reflect him to others. So you can protest all you like. You can tell me that you're nothing special. You can tell me that you're nothing much. But the Bible says that God has chosen the things that are not. The truth, whether you believe it or not, is that you have incalculable worth because you're made in the image of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that you're an ambassador of Christ and that you're the fragrance of Christ. You're supposed to kind of leave a smell of him around as you go. That's a bit of a weird image, but it's what the Bible says. Christians are image-bearing spirit-filled, compassion-carrying, mercy-bringers, chosen people set apart from God with works prepared for us to get on with. You are God's gift to those around you. But this isn't just about us. My final point is this. Everyone you meet is made in the image of God. Everyone you meet, every single person, the family member who most annoys you, the colleague who rubs you up the wrong way, the person in your connect group who doesn't let you get a word in edgeways, that's probably me in my connect group, by the way, Um, the person who cuts you up in traffic, everyone you encounter is made in the image of God and has worth. And everyone you encounter can uniquely reflect God to you if you'll let them. If you'll let them. Tim Keller says this, every person that comes across your path You need to treat with a sacredness, a reverence, a respect, a concern for their individuality, 
a kindness, never writing people off. We must treat everyone with grace, everyone with gentleness. Do you? And that's the application, isn't it? Do you? I think the application today is to ask ourselves, do we live like we know we're made in the image of God? Do we live like we know we can reflect him to others, that we can leave a trace of him with everyone we encounter? And do I spend enough time gazing on the beauty of the Lord so that I'm becoming more and more like him, so that I can reflect him more and more? Do I treat everyone who comes across my path as someone who's made in the image of God? God spoke to me about this a while ago, and he pointed out to me that if I can't see the image of God in someone, the problem is with me, not with them. We should expect to make a difference in the lives of those around us. God doesn't give us permission to write ourselves off. He doesn't give us permission to write anyone else off. So as we head into the next month, uh, the next few months, as we emerge from the pandemic and from lockdown, I want to be increasingly mindful of this. I'd love us to begin to encourage those around us more and more by telling them how they reflect God to you. I want to be better at telling people how they reflect God to me. If God has made me to be a gift to those around me, then I want to make sure I am reflecting him and leaving a positive trace of him in their lives. If, if you want to do that too, I wonder um, if you want to just lift your hands, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching at home, you can do this. But I just want to pray for us. I just want to pray for us. If, if you think, gosh, I need to know this stuff and I need to live like this, then let's lift our hands if you're comfortable too, and I'll pray. Father, I thank you that these things are true. I thank you we are made in the, your image and that that gives us our worth. Nothing else tells us our worth. Nothing else tells us anything about our worth. Only you get to determine our worth. And you have said we're made in your image and that you were willing to send your son Jesus to die for us. That gives us worth that we can't even begin to comprehend. So would you help us to live like it, God? Would you help us to be mindful of this, that we get to reflect you to those around us? Would you help us to uh, leave a trace with people that points them to you? Even if it's a dim shadow, let it be a dim shadow that nevertheless points them to the greater truth of who you are, how great you are, how wonderful you are, and how you feel about them. Would you help us to be mindful of this as we come out of lockdown? And to live like this, that we might make a real difference in people's lives and that we might bring glory to your name. Amen.